Hello, and welcome to another episode of Houston, We Have a Podcast. Uh, on today's episode, we are reviewing a few new movies, which are rare for 2020 to say that we have watched new movies coming out, so we're taking the opportunity to talk about them. Uh, joining us on today's episode, uh, once again, from the previous episode, we have Dave, and we also have joining us new for the first time, Dave. So welcome, both of you. hey Welcome. Hi, hi, hi. Um, always, always a pleasure to be around another Dave. Uh, new Dave, how about you uh, introduce yourselves to our audience by giving a, a movie and a movie character that represents you as a person? Uh, sure thing. So um, my, my name is Dave Starr. So I think later in the podcast we'll be referring to each, the Daves by their last name, which all Daves in the world are used to at this point. So the movie that represents me, and it's a bit about the character, and, and again, this is like I've changed over time, but I would say is Disney's Oliver and Company. Um. And in particular, the Dodger in that, like, I really love, one, I love Billy Joel, but two, like, I love that concept of, like, that time New York, like, he's tough, but he's, like, actually cares and that kind of stuff, etc. Um, and he's a bit of a talker, which you'll see on the podcast, I am also a bit of a talker. Um, and then the character, not confusingly off, and maybe a little more accurate in my current age, would be uh, Vince Vaughn's character from um, Old School. You know, where it's kind of like gregarious, likes to talk, you know, likes to interact with stuff. But at the end of the day, is, is actually a family man and kind of living vicariously through his friends and no longer the uh, the crazy person he was in his youth. And so I think those two are probably the best representations of me um, now. I think, you know, there's some nuance in that, but that, that's what I would say. Based on those two things, would you describe yourself as a lovable scamp? You know, it's funny. It's literally on my business card. The company doesn't know that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Dave Starr, lovable scamp. Um, it's how the, I've always thought of you. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I think you're the first guest to pick a movie to introduce yourself that I've never heard of. So, congrats on that. Ooh. Well, that's one you should see. Oliver and Company, animated from, like, the late 80s, early 90s, based in New York City. Are they all cats in that one, or are they different animals? Mostly dogs. And then um, a couple cats. The ca Oliver is a cat. It's based on uh, Dickens' Oliver Twist, um, and is a modern retelling of that with abandoned animals. Bette Midler, Billy Joel, whole uh, whole big cast there. Tina Turner, I think, might be in it. Ooh, like that. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome again to the show, both of you. Uh, on today's episode, so we're going to talk about three new movies. We're going to talk about Tenet. Devil All the Time, and Bloodshot. Um, we're going to be talking about Tenet, uh, spoiler-free, because uh, the days you have not watched it, uh, me and Paulo have. Uh, and then we're going to be going into spoilers on Devil All the Time and Bloodshot. Uh, if there's one of these movies that you haven't seen yet and you want to come back to, I'm going to be posting uh, time codes in the description, so you can skip ahead if you want to skip to not hear spoilers on a movie yet you want to watch at some point. Uh, so we'll jump right into it. Um, first movie we're going to talk about is Tenet. Uh, Dave, I know you haven't watched this one, but uh, me and Paulo have. Um, I think we wanted to have a, a, a quick chat about it. I actually have no idea how Paulo feels about this, and I think Paulo vice versa. <laughs> um, so how about you go first? Um, how did you generally feel about this movie? I mean, uh, I feel like I'm the worst person to, to talk about <laughs> the, the movie because, one, I'm already bad enough as it is explaining things but when i really don't understand something like forget about it but i mean the movie itself i enjoyed 
I think it was it was uh, on on the Christopher Nolan scale of movies. I'd rank it in between like um, what was the, the World War Two one? Dunkirk. In between Dunkirk and like oh jeez, Dark Knight Rises with the one with Bane. So like in the third quarter, kind of like bottom, but not the actual bottom. Like, yeah, which is still really good. What are the upper echelon Nolan movies to the two of you? Like, if you're talking the top third, like, what are some of the ones that you're like, these are Nolan's best? Hold on. Where did you put Dunkirk, Carson? Dunkirk would be near the bottom for me. I'm assuming when you say between Dunkirk and Dark Knight Rises, that Dark Knight Rises is better and Dunkirk is a little worse. Oh, what? No, I I have that reversed. I would consider Dunkirk probably, yeah, probably the worst Christopher Nolan. What? I've not heard that take before. <laughs> but okay, that's because maybe, I love so many of his movies. Like, oh well, yeah, his because, worst okay. is still really good. Maybe yeah, maybe that's a bad scale because, like I said, his his worst, like they're all good. I enjoyed all of them, but okay. okay. It's a hot take from Carson. <laughs> that's Dunkirk, like I, no good. That really sure. threw me off. <laughs> but because uh, um, I also it, like it, Dark Knight Rises a lot more than a lot of people do. Like I. I think I was a little disappointed when I first saw it because the expectations were so high, but when I've gone back and rewatched it, I've appreciated it more. Once you guys have talked about Tenet, I have more questions about your <laughs> Nolan rating scale. <laughs> okay, let's, let's put that aside for now. Sorry, going back to Tenet, I royally screwed that up by <laughs> implementing a terrible scale. Tenet, yeah, it was fun. Um, I, I felt like it, it reminded me of uh, studying philosophy in university because following along i'd latch on to something just enough that i'd understand what's happening in the movie so like a concept in philosophy just to get me through passing <laughs> and then um like i'd hit some a certain point in the movie where i'd start getting lost again but then it's just like it was just enough for me to like stay with the story so like I'd, I'd latch on to like the temporal pincer move, which means nothing to you, Dave's, but um, I mean, I can work it out. I, it's based, uh, they, some kind of time travel where they come at them from two sides, I'm guessing. Sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, like it, there was a lot of cool things. It just, I don't know if it was a product of me not understanding fully or, um, uh, things actually not making sense. Um, but I, I feel like it might have taken me out of it a little bit, just trying so hard to follow along. But, I mean, it, I still enjoyed it. Christopher Nolan is always good. I think I actually have very similar thoughts to you about the movie. It's like, I'm sure there's some kid with a whiteboard who's looking at this movie after and has picked everything apart in terms of the potholes because, like, there are a lot of things that I'm sure they did not get correct or it was too overly complicated to kind of flow as a movie. But you don't need to understand all the details because you understand the story. And so in a movie, there's a difference between the plot and the story. The plot is like the actual events. The story is like how those events are meaningful and what the characters are learning as they go through it. And so like I felt the plot was complicated, but the story was very clear. And none of the flaws in the plot took me out of the movie so much that I got mad or wanted it to go back and explain it uh, more correctly. Um, And I actually had kind of experience a couple days ago that helped me explain it that I went back and watched uh, the most recent Godzilla sequel. Uh, which Ooh. I have been vocal on this podcast as not liking. Um, 
There's one scene in the movie where... I'm is that the one after the, first, the Cranston one? Yes. Yes, it's the most recent one with... Uh, Millie Bobby Brown. I was going to say King Ghidorah, but yes, Billy Bobby Brown. Billy Bobby <laughs> Brown as well. Both um, true. But yeah, so there's one scene, like, there's this part in that movie where... Uh, I forget the, the Japanese actor's name, uh, but he has a big sacrifice play, and I'm, I'm actually starting to get into the movie for the first time. And then there's this moment that Godzilla gets revived and he stands out of the water right beside a submarine. And even though that he's 200 times bigger than the submarine and stands up right beside it, there's absolutely no water displacement of any kind. <laughs> and so it's like, I don't want to be thinking about water displacement in a movie, but it was so obvious that an error like that makes me kind of stop in my tracks and say, like, this movie is dumb. Whereas nothing in Tenet got to that level. Like, I noticed that things probably weren't making sense if I were to think about them but it flowed well enough that I understood the story and I understood what was going on. Do you think that that's like, we, we just give Christopher Nolan the benefit of a, the doubt because we know that he's always good? Because like if, if another director were to try that and just throw all these like time-flipping concepts at us, like I feel like he'd just be just ripped apart. <laughs> uh, yes and no. Like I, I really like time travel movies or time like movies that have that type of element in them. There's a good one from probably about 20 years ago called Primer, uh, which was made by a guy who was an engineer making a movie for the first time. And it was like very complicated, but he went into the science like as accurately as he could. Um, and it's kind of all over the place in terms of storytelling, but I still enjoyed it because you could still generally understand it and I appreciated the attempt. So yes, I think Christopher Nolan, like he, he has enough kind of credibility that he makes me want to try to understand whereas uh, some directors maybe I would have given up earlier, but, like, I still say, like, he focused, like, he didn't care whether it was accurate, he cared about the story, and he still delivered that well. You just reminded me, like, so I was driving back from Michigan for five hours today, and I was listening to some episodes of How Did This Get Made, and at one point, I think it was Jason was talking about, Jason Manzuka said something like, when I was watching movies earlier on in my life, like, if I didn't get something, I kind of made the assumption that, like, oh, it's too deep or, like, too subtle for me to get. And as I got older, it was just like, oh, no, it's just bad filmmaking. And, I, again, I think you're kind of navigating that line, which, like, I fall into that line, too. Like, and I mean, we're talking about Christopher Nolan. So Inception is one where there's – I can kind of understand what's going on, and I'm not getting the nuance versus just this is nonsense and gibberish, and it's not me that should that should be getting it kind of thing. I I have a follow-up on this. If we want to keep talking about the review, you can, but I'd like to delve into at some point the business – of Tenet, right? As, as starved as we are for for movies and that kind of stuff, was it the right thing for them to do to release it in theaters? You know, it's limping towards its break even of 400 million right now and pulling in like 5 million a week in the States, you know, because it's not available. And I think it was widely seen as like the savior of the box office this year. Um, and I think Liam Neeson's new movie just passed it uh, this last weekend. But I'm just, I'm just curious, like, if, what the thoughts are on that, and we can put a pin in that um, and come back to it after more reviews, but wanted to put no, that like I'm, I'm glad it came out because I'm glad I got to see it, and it was like the only time I've been to the theater since the shutdown. Um, it it failing is definitely the reason why everything is getting pushed back right now, because uh, it, it was clearly not the right time. Like, it, New Mutants was probably the right movie to test, because that movie they didn't really care about, and they were going to dump anyway. Um, so, I personally am happy it went out so that I got a chance to see it, but it was definitely the wrong thing for the business yeah on on that note it was the best theater going experience of my entire life yeah, because there was no one there it was like within a week or two of it coming out like so it would be packed 
in a normal situation, but I could like sit, lean my chair back. I could spread my legs out, put my jacket on this chair here and like is completely silent and I could actually focus, which was really important. This is the key. I could actually focus and try to understand what was happening because if I had any distractions around me, I would have been just been gone. And, and maybe an important note too, is that Carson and Paolo are in Canada. Uh, while yes. Dave and I, the Dave's, are in Seattle and Chicago, so that's why neither of us had had the opportunity to see the movie yet. Our theaters aren't open yet. Well, I don't know if Chicago is, but I know Seattle's not. Uh, I mean, it may be, but I'm not like I'm not going. I mean, I also don't want to like play Russian roulette or something like that. So, right, right. <laughs> I was also apprehensive about like going to the theater during this time, um, even aside from the fact that like Toronto, well, Toronto is probably doing the worst out of all of Canada, but. Canada is doing fairly well or was doing fairly well at the time that I went to watch. I mean, our cases are spiking, but it's not, let's not talk about that right now. Um, but um, yeah, the, just the way that the theater was set up, it was, I, I felt, it actually felt very safe um, considering, I mean, also considering there was no one there basically, but just all the like the measures that were taken, it also added, it had the nice side effect of, boosting my theater experience so i mean hopefully it hopefully you guys get that <laughs> yeah so it, it, i felt safer on that than i do on like my, my daily tim hortons run so I, I would say like the theaters did a pretty good job at the time again situations changed a little bit in the last couple months so i probably wouldn't be yeah comfortable going anymore but i felt comfortable at the time yeah well and you guys were doing so much better than the states anyway um i mean we're still struggling down here that's a that's a light way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to say it delicately. I didn't want to just come out and say, "Oh, we're doing so much better than you guys," so it was fine. <laughs> like I said, I, I texted or I sent a message to one of our coworkers the other day. We were working late, and he's—I can't remember what he sent, but I was just like, "Yeah, man, enjoy your functioning com- or country. I'll talk to you later." <laughs> There's actually an excellent documentary about COVID in the U.S. that launched yesterday from my. Second favorite documentarian, Alex Gibney, who did the Enron documentary, which you've been to business school, you see. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, um, who's your favorite documentarian? Werner Herzog. Not surprised by that. Of note is I'm not ready for a documentary about something I'm still really, really living through. <laughs> yeah. A couple of years. Like, like, it's bold to make it while everything is yeah, still going yeah. terribly. Like, <laughs> straight into the... A series. The documentary about Vietnam while I'm in the patties does not work for me. <laughs> um, well, going back to Tenet, <laughs> um, <laughs> one thing that I did also want to bring up is uh, Robert Pattinson. I think everyone wanted to bring up was Ron Robert Pattinson, and we'll we'll talk more about him later. But um, I remember way back a lot, many episodes back in our podcast, Carson uh, swore by Robert Pattinson. Um, and I looked at him like he was crazy. Um, and I've, I'm, I was completely wrong (laughs) because he is like just watching a few of his latest movies. Like I recently watched good time as well. Um, I really enjoyed his performance in tenant. Um, we'll talk about the devil all the time later. Uh, but I think he is, um, my eyes are, my eyes are open now. (laughs) I'm glad I was actually right on that one, uh, but as we'll talk about during Devil on Time, I'm starting to 
get off the Robert Pattinson train. Ooh, the tables soon. have turned. But no, like he he's really good in Tenet. Um, he's done a lot of like good smaller stuff uh, in the last few years. Um, I guess my my kind of sum up my opinion on Tenet. Uh, I definitely recommend it. Uh, it's a really good movie. But if you're going into it, don't try to work your brain too much about what's actually happening. Just kind of feel your way through it, and you'll enjoy it. Uh, don't finish it and make one of those terrible videos of people trying to pick apart a plot. I'm sure there will be many. Well, I actually appreciate those because I, I went and like tried to read more and to figure out like to fill in the blanks that I had missed. Um, so I mean, I just feel I, like I, with Tenant though, like it's not the point. Like it, it <laughs> it's probably its fault for making it like trying to explain it so much. But like, there's actually times when they're explaining things. And then the soundtrack of the movie just dr- starts to drown out the dialogue, where it's kind of telling you, like, eh, these details aren't important. Don't worry about it. It's weird. That's weird for me because, A, I like that they're like, e- you know, don't really worry about it too much. But it feels like a Christopher Nolan movie lives in the details. And so for him to, to have all those details but also say, don't really worry about it, just seems – let me ask you, Carson, because I think you're someone who loves details – from from my my uh, my picture of you so far, do you think he? And again, I'm just saying this from what I've heard the two of you say. Is he trying to appeal to like two different audiences? He has his core audience, who you know, people who really want those details, and so he's saying, "Hey, they're here." But for people who maybe don't want to get into all of that, he's saying, at the same time, if you don't care, you know, here's the other path. We're just going to play some sweet music. I actually kind of disagree a little bit with your opinion of Christopher Nolan as somebody who really likes to get into the details because you look That's at fair. he's someone who likes to give the impression of details. Ooh, but when okay. you dive into Inception or Dark Knight, they fall apart really quickly. And so I think he's giving the impression that his characters are doing something very complicated, but if you pick it apart even a little bit, it really falls apart quite easily. So I think that Tenet is more just a continuation of where he's already been going of like, let's present you with a complicated idea, but ultimately what we really care about is the characters and their story, which is why I like Christopher Nolan's stories, because even when you look past the details, even if the details are perfect, and even if they're terrible, the the character story holds up on our own, and they're enjoyable for that reason alone, even if you took out all the details. So that's my opinion. I, I like that. I've never viewed Christopher Nolan that way because I'm not as into film as you are, and so I've always viewed it as he's this dude who's trying to make really smart movies, but like stumbles on the details as opposed to, Hey, it's a really cool concept. And I'm not a scientist to kind of figure all those details out. So we're just going to kind of put them in that situation. And I think that's actually a, a more enjoyable way to think about his movies. I, I think inception is probably one of the most overthought movies of all time. And it's one of my favorite, like I really love inception, but it's a very loose metaphor for, you know, making dreams is basically, a metaphor for himself making movies and how he gets the inspiration from them and how he likes to get lost in them. And it's like people start analyzing it as if it's about dreams and it's not really about dreams. It's just a metaphor for making movies. I would also say it's a rare skill to give the impression of being detailed and not be detailed. Like that is really, really hard to do, right? Like it's a very specific thing. And, and Carson, I think people like, like yourself and others who are who are very attentive to movies, et cetera. Like I would I would agree with with Tomkey that you know I would think of him as a detailed person. But as you talk through it, I'm like you're 100 percent right. He has convinced me of that 
through the impression. Like that's a that's a unique ability, and and you know speaks to his his art. My my overall approach that I try to take when analyzing movies or reviewing movies is you go in and the movie is going to give you a feeling regardless of what you try to feel at that time and that your analysis of looking back at the movie should not overcome what you initially felt. Like when you're reviewing movies, you should simply be trying to explain why did I feel what I felt? Because the whole art of filmmaking is trying to make you feel something and manipulate your emotions. And so like I try not to dislike a movie if afterwards I start thinking about it more and it kind of falls apart a little bit. It's like, did I enjoy it at the time? Yes or no, then let's try to explain why I felt that way. Everything you need to know about the movie is contained within every frame of the movie, right, Carson? Exactly. It's funny you should say that, Carson. That's how I feel about Rogue One. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, let's not get into that. Great great movie, Paulo. (laughs) Thank you, Tomkey. How long do we have for the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's, let's move on to our second movie. I think we've talked all we can on Panic. Uh, so our second movie is Devil All the Time. Uh, how about one of the days? If you can introduce this for us. I'll, I'll kick off. Go right ahead. So um, first off, I'm glad we did this one uh, before Bloodshot because this movie is good. It's a good movie. I'm going to start off by saying that I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. It is not a pleasant movie, and you, you almost need a palate cleanser afterwards. I was telling the guys, like, I, I watched a couple episodes of Friends afterwards just to, like, reset that the world's not the most terrible place in the world. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting because it starts off really sweet and nostalgia-ish, um, you know, minus the crucified mercy killing. Um, but but it's a fascinating movie and I think it delves into Americana and how we think of things in the past as automatically being better or sweeter or nicer and ignore some of the stuff that was really rough and or how people deal with grief. Um, do you want me to walk? What, what, I'm not going to walk. Tom, do you want to walk through the plot and then I'll, I can make comments? Um, not really. Uh, I've, I've got a couple overarching thoughts that I want to get out there, but I don't want to cut you off. Uh, so it's funny. So Pokey Lafarge is in it. Uh, and he's one of my wife's favorite artists. Um, and he is, I forgot the character's name, but the, the, the toady, um, to the killer. Um, he's the, one that, the one that sits in the wheel. Oh, yeah. you, the one yeah. that sits in the wheelchair. Yeah, so he's out of St. Louis, and he has like re- he's an amazing artist. First off, I highly uh, I've got some thoughts about that, so I'll let you finish because that's one of my three overarching thoughts is about that specific character. And 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 number one, like my wife left in fifteen minutes into the movie, and was like, nope, 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 nope. nope. <laughs> um, and again, once the dog was killed, mm. it felt like. I, I warmed up to the movie because it started, the beginning feels like it's what I call gore porn, where it's like, I'm just trying to make this as dark as possible and terrible things happening, blah, blah, blah. But it all kind of, they do a nice job of tying it together at the end. Um, the period quality I thought was excellent. Um, it gets progressively more compelling. Like the, the, how dark it is and the stuff that's happening becomes less, 
in your face and you care more about the plot and the development of the characters as you go. And I thought one thing about Pattinson was interesting is he was introduced so late into the movie for as pivotal of a character as he was. Um, so, Tom, I'll, I'll go to you. So I had a couple thoughts. So first and foremost, I think if you're looking at this movie and I guess it was fine. I didn't think it was a good movie. I thought it was fine. Here's what you need to know about it. First and foremost, they say the name of the movie in minute three. Right? Like, name a good movie that has the name of the movie in dialogue three minutes in. That felt, uh, that was a warning sign for me of like, hey, this movie is really into itself. I think um, Tenet does that. <laughs> not surprised. Um, so that was one. But you mentioned uh, Theodore is the name of the character that sits, the the guy that plays the uh, the guitar with his brother, who the is... Preacher the preacher who is also a murderer. And I wrote this. So I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to have to apologize to your wife here because what I wrote is this dude sucks at playing guitar. And I'm glad at how far we've come in the science of guitar solos since this happened. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously Eddie Van Halen died since I watched this movie. And it just made me thankful for man, music sucked back then. And it's way better now. (laughs) That was one of my big takeaways from this movie. Well, and I would not venture that this movie is the best representation of his music. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. But uh, he was playing, he played like a, and again, this has nothing to do with the plot of the movie, and I'll let others more capable talk about that. But he was playing in the church, sitting down, and his brother, the the preacher, is kind of screaming and yelling. It turns back to him to play a solo. He just kind of picks a couple notes. And I'll tell you what, I was ready for a big solo at that moment. It didn't hit, and I was disappointed. I'm I'm glad you allowed that to uh, take uh, precedence in your mind, considering how everything else watch like watching everything else in the movie made me so miserable. <laughs> like I would have loved to be distracted by something like that when I was watching it. It felt like it felt like watching the Joker, which yeah. was, I I thought was a great movie, but just every everyone is bad and everything sucks. Like it was definitely needed the palate cleanser, like you said. Uh, sorry. Yeah, and then last about uh, Theodore, and then I'll I'll open it up to others, and then I assume we'll have a whole side Robert Pattinson conver- conversation, which I'm interested in as well. I've got some notes on that. But uh, speaking to Theodore again, so the brother of the preacher murders that woman with the screwdriver, and he's just like, "Yeah, cool, this is happening." Like, there's just no reaction at all from him when his brother goes off the deep end and murders a woman with a screwdriver. He's like, "Cool, where are we going now?" Let's let's jump into the car. And I found that hard to believe. I guess although we couldn't like he may have killed before and we just don't know about it. I would venture he probably did. But but do you and okay, so giving some more plot line here. Yeah, sorry. I really got off on that guitar part. He becomes convinced that he can resurrect people and so in order to test that he kills someone with a screwdriver and tries to resurrect them and it doesn't work. Um, which again, just a, a taste of like, there's a crucified Japanese person that's played in this. They then do the same thing to a dog. Uh, there, and, and again, there's a plot to this movie, but it's hard to stick with to the end. Honestly, I don't know. If, I don't know if I had not been doing this review. I would have watched the whole thing. <laughs> is, is there a plot or is it just a series of, events that happen to people that inter- are interconnected. So 
so this this is a problem that I have with the movie when you that question right there because I feel like the whole point of the movie was that it, the the story of the movie was um this is the the brother taking revenge for his sister like of um, no the sister who got pregnant by the preacher who tricked her and then was going to kill herself decided not to and slipped on the chair and hung herself yeah <laughs> so well, dark so on that note, hold on. I just had a thought, and I like it a lot. This is like <laughs> the darkest love, actually. It's like <laughs> it ties together, but it's, it's it's just like okay, look at all these lives. Oh my God, they come together in the end, and they're all terrible. <laughs> yeah, and so like you guys are complaining about like how terrible everything is, and I think I've talked about this in previous episodes. Is that like I actually like movies that are about terrible people. That it's just like for me, it almost feels like a more accurate view of the world. Um, and so maybe that's saying bad things about myself, but, um, I, I enjoyed that it was about all kind of like these bad and twisted people. Like they were all interesting characters, but you know, same as Paul and Dave, what you were saying, it's like, what was the point of the whole movie? And it's a flaw that you get often when you're dealing with movies that happen over many years or decades. Uh, you look at the Irishman that came out recently, uh, and also place beyond the pines. I don't know if you guys have seen that one, but it's like, whenever you get into movies dealing over like multiple decades, like it seems really hard to keep that focused thread of like, what's the point? Why am I watching this? What's the story? And that's like, I liked a lot of the individual scenes, but I didn't feel like it was really wrapped up at the end. I would, yeah, and it, I would agree with that, Carson. And I would also say like, it's interesting because while I agree with you, Carson, that's a more real view of the world. Right. And this might speak more to me about like <laughs> how I have enough real world, especially now like, what's the purpose of a movie for me? I don't, it doesn't have to be like happy-go-lucky, you know, like, you know, uh, Pulp Fiction, not the movie. Oh, yeah, Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction the really movie. a happy-go-lucky movie. No, no, not, not, not the movie Pulp Fiction, but like a Pulp Fiction book, oh. like, you know, the kind you buy at an airport that, like, it always works out, the hero saves the day and gets, gets a girl. Right, like, I'm not, it, I'm, it doesn't have to be that, but, like, I'm also looking for an escape from real life, not necessarily a view into darker life, unless... Like, I lean more towards documentaries for that because it's already bad enough in the real world, right? I don't need you to make up a story. And I, my understanding, this came from a really well-reviewed book and an interesting book. And, and, and from that perspective, like, this might be a book I would read, right, where I'm a little more in that mindset of, like, oh, let's talk through this. Like, uh, I think of um, The Devil in the White City, Devil right? The White City. Great Devil Chicago. City. It's a great Chicago story about like this murderer during the Chicago World's Fair. That was a fascinating and great book. I'm not sure I'd love it as a movie, right? Like other than... it as a movie, by the way, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, well, I'll watch it because I read the book. But um, but do you know what I mean, Carson? Like I think that that that's part of it for me is like, well, I agree with you. This is probably more accurate and a better reflection of the human uh, condition. Uh, when I watch movies. Well, I hope I'm not painting myself as incredibly naive, picking a Disney movie old school and, you know, here's the movie I'm looking forward to later and I'm I'm really worried about the impression people are going to have of me. Um, but, like, I, I do it as an escape, right? It could be scary. It could be a thriller. It could be all this other stuff. But I don't necessarily want you to tell me about how the world is already. So, Dave, I have a quote from the movie that I think can sum up what you're saying. And so I noted this down. Um, and I think it's from the preacher when when Theodore is like playing the guitar solo, the preacher says when he's talking about how he was afraid all the time, he goes, he says, hell is being afraid all the time. And it's like, clearly we are in a situation in the world where 
there are a lot of things to be concerned about all of the time. And so it was, to your point, difficult for me to spend two plus hours watching this movie a, because I didn't take much away from it. It just felt like, okay, this is, and I enjoy a good revenge movie. I, I, I am, uh, Paula, we've talked about uh, Korean cinema, who does revenge movies better than anyone. I, I just didn't take anything away from this one. And yes, it was good performances and some of the individual scenes and acting were good. But for me, like, I just, uh, it, it didn't engage me on that level because like, I got I got enough shit to be afraid of in real life. I don't need to worry about, you know, if my sister, which I don't have any sisters, is going to be tricked by a, a priest or something like that, you know? I come from a slightly different view. Of, when it comes to art, just throw everything out there. Like, doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't have to be perfect all the time. Because part of art is just, like, sharing your human experience and saying, like, this is what I feel about the world, or this is just a thought I had. And so, like, in my opinion, because, like, I like to watch a lot of movies, and it's like not every one of them needs to be the same, not every one of them needs to be perfect. I want people to just throw stuff out there and sometimes it doesn't work. And I don't think this one particularly worked for me. Um, but I also watched a documentary recently about uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have seen his movies, but he's a Mexican director who was more popular in the seventies and eighties. And he's kind of has like the most bizarre, weirdest shit. Like there's always like Jesus Christ pooping and then a dove comes out of it. Like it's just got weird stuff in it. And it's like, I, I appreciate that people will just do something different and just like use art, whether it's film or song or you know, painting or whatever, just to, throw stuff out there into the world and let other people absorb it. I'm sorry, what was that documentary about? <laughs> so it's actually about the making of Dune. Uh, the initial Wait, one. With, with Jesus pooping? And no, no, this was one of the earlier movies that the director who was going to direct Dune made. Uh, oh, Rossi's okay. Dune is also a really, really good documentary, one of my favorites of the last 10 years. <laughs> okay. yeah. On that note, Carson, you're talking about this movie and putting it out there. I think some of the messages that maybe this movie or the director or writer, whoever is trying to get out there, were also just done really ham-fisted. Like the any sort of commentary they were trying to have about organized religion or the church or anything just felt like a hammer beating you overhead. There, there just wasn't a ton of subtlety, I don't think, or 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 how it was handled. Uh, again, I think it can be done well, but also the messages that this movie wanted to say it was not clever about how it said them in any way. It was okay. like, I, the church is bad. Religion is bad. Here's what it drives people to do. Blah, blah, blah. I agree. Uh, I think ultimately like my analysis of the movie is a lot of good individual scenes that are tied together by not very good, like individual scenes like those that you mentioned. Um, and so it doesn't really work, but I, I'm not opposed to somebody attempting a movie like this. Yeah. And strong performances by a lot of the actors, I would say too. Like, there were some really great pieces by Tom Holland, I thought, showed a very different side of himself. Um, and it was an opportunity for him to to do something. And I think that's hard and important when you get into the, the Marvel universe, right? Like, it's, like, you need to get something else out there that's not, you know, superhero, golly-go-lucky kid. But um, I also think, to Dave's point, uh, Tom Key's point, is that... In a different time, I might have viewed this movie differently. It is a terrible time for this movie to be coming out when everything is already bad, right? Like, if everything was good and I watched this movie, I'd be like, oh, that's a good point. You know, we got to be careful with human nature, blah, blah, blah. I don't even know that. Like, human nature is rough right now. One of my, one of my friends today texted me. And he's like, do you think we're all in a simulation? 
uh, I read this article about like this. You think, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson thinks it's it's likely. And I was like, it, sometimes it feels like we're in The Sims and someone put natural disasters on like high, right? Like some kid is like, oh, let me mess with it and see how bad I can make it. Um, so I think that the current time, fires in the West, hurricanes in the South, pandemic, all affects that a bit, right? So I have two follow-ups to that. The first one being, did you guys do that when you were playing the like Sim City? Did you put disasters on? Everyone always talks about that. Of like, I I never did that. I was always like very meticulous. God forbid I would ever turn on a natural disaster. I spent so much time building that. It was when I eventually got bored. Like I would build a city, <laughs> and then it's like oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give up on this game. But oh, just before I do, let's destroy it all. That's a little ominous. Maybe no. if that's that's the current situation. Like. <laughs> <laughs> the user is done with our our game. <laughs> well, I, like that, I, but that that's a similar thing, right? It's like, okay, what if I just turn this all the way to eleven? What would happen, right? Like Spinal Tap reference, um, and yeah, and like I feel like they're like, what if I built the worst user possible <laughs> and made him like the worst sin possible, made him the, the leader of the free world? <laughs> That'd be crazy. <laughs> But my second thing then, because I think you hit on a great point there, Dave, and this leads to the conversation we've all been talking about of, here's the thing. I have never seen a movie with Robert Pattinson until watching The Lighthouse and Devil All the Time. Those are my first two exposures to Robert Pattinson. And so I think there's this, you, you talked about it earlier, Paulo, and talking with Carson around what he said, there's this view of who Robert Pattinson is as an actor, because he was in Twilight, obviously. I think he was in at least one Harry Potter. I don't know. Yeah, the fourth um, one. I know it well. <laughs> but, like, I was I was a little bit older when Harry... Like, I, if I turn my computer around, like, it's all fantasy novels. I'm huge into fantasy novels. Harry Potter was just a little bit younger than me when it came out, so I never got into it. So I never saw those movies, really. So my view of him is this dude who is just willing to do crazy accents and crazy movies and just put himself out there. And honestly, in my opinion right now, I like Robert Pattinson. So I'm curious for other people who have paid more attention to his career. Like I love, I love a dude who's just going to go for it. And it seems like he is very much in that vein right now. See, so you know what's funny about that? Not necessarily that I've paid attention to his career, but I was of the age like – Harry Potter and his friends were the same age as me when they went to Hogwarts. So I, when I, I read all the books, I watched the movies. Um, I saw Robert Pattinson in that one. I also saw, um, I, I think I, I watched Twilight with friends like back in the day, not by choice, but just throwing so, a couple qualifiers in there. Those, <laughs> yeah, those were my first exposures to Robert Pattinson. So seeing those and then seeing like what he's doing now. Um, I feel like maybe it's a whole thing about him. Like he started his career this way and he's like, I do not want to do that anymore. So I'm going to do all this wild shit. I'm going to uh, be in the lighthouse. I'm going to be this, uh, uh, this crazy murderous preacher. And what I, Batman? and what? Batman, Batman. Yeah. Like I'm fully on board for that too. Like coming from even back what he was doing before, like what else was there? There, uh, the King, where um, uh, was it called The King with Timothy Chalamet? Yes, where he does the Quebecois accent. The, the terrible French accent. <laughs> and that's that's another thing that I want to talk about while we're on the subject of Robert Pattinson. Um, uh, I, I find he when he tries the, the, the knock I have the main knock I have on him is that when he tries to reach too far with an accent, 
So like the southern one, I mean, in Devil All the Time wasn't that bad, but it still kind of took me out of it a little bit. Um, the French accent, like I mentioned before, in The King, I don't know if you guys have heard it. Um, it's a decent movie to watch if uh, you have time. Um, but he does like the absolute worst French accent that I've ever heard in my entire life. And it's it actually made me enjoy the movie a little bit more <laughs> because it was uh, unintentionally hilarious. Um, but like, I, I think that's, yeah, the main thing that I had against his performance in this movie, I don't know if it was necessarily bad, but it's it, like, I feel like it didn't fit his face. Like it, his, his voice did not fit his face. So, fun fact, nobody in the crew or cast knew what his accent was going to be until they rolled yep. the cameras. <laughs> what? They did not know what accent he was going to start using until they started filming the first scene. Like, what? everybody, apparently everyone in the cast had voice coaches. Robert Pattinson refused to hire a voice coach. I think that explains some things. Does that extend to his other movies? That's one of my issues with him, is that he has a bit of Tom Hardy syndrome, where he can't do a role without having an accent. And he doesn't have the skill of Tom Hardy to pull it off all the time, sometimes to comedic results, a la The King. Um, but no, like it, he's had an interesting career, because I think people are starting to pick up on it now because of the success of The Lighthouse, and now that he's been cast in Batman. But like, basically as soon as Twilight ended, and even before that, like in the last few Twilight movies, he was openly mocking the movies as he was promoting them. Um, and he started to do indie movies like The Rover and Cosmopolis uh, in like the early 2010s. And, like, he went straight to Indy and started reinventing himself. And so I really appreciated, like, what he was trying to do. And I had the unfortunate uh, experience of having to watch Twilight probably, like, 20, 30 times because I worked in a department store where they played it, like, all day, <laughs> every day. And so, like, I hated Twilight as much as anyone. And then, like, to see him immediately go off in that different direction, like, I do appreciate him. But I feel like he's starting to get too big in that, like, now that he is Batman, now that he's doing some other stuff that, his reach is going to what's the words I'm looking for. Uh, he's going to be trying to accomplish too much, and he's going to fail more often than he can. He's biting off more than he can chew. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. Not the same thing, but Daniel Radcliffe, right? Like once Harry Potter wrapped up, he is Daniel Radcliffe has done some wild stuff as well. And let me be very transparent. I love Daniel Radcliffe. I think the dude is hilarious. He's a good actor. He's very self-aware, seemingly, of everything that went on. So I'm a big supporter of that. And so I think, obviously, Batman is a big step, and we'll see where that goes. But up to this point, I've had a similar type view recently of Robert Pattinson of, like, I'm willing to give this dude a run because he made a bunch of money as a kid, like a teenager growing up, was locked in, and was able to get out of that and seemingly retain some semblance of things that he wants to do as an artist, I guess. You know? Yeah, I respect it. Including making a movie about uh, him being a corpse and having a boner that gives directions like a compass. <laughs> I don't know if anyone has seen Swiss Army Man, but it's a very good movie. Well, Equus, too, right? On, on Broadway. Not a movie, but... He hung Dong! It. He hung Dong his first role outside of Harry Potter! He Oh... <laughs> It oh, took me a second to realize. We're that. like hung bong. I don't. Uh, where, <laughs> oh yeah. He where showed is that? His, he showed is his dick. Like, <laughs> like Chinese. Uh... It's, no, not no, hot, it's not a hot. It's not a hot sauce. I think that's from. Uh, I think it's from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia when they're watching yeah. uh, the Thunder Guns. It's like I hear he hangs dong in this one. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. I think it's 
it's funny, like the that's an interesting comparison between um Daniel Radcliffe and um Robert Pattinson because they've both like you guys said, they they kinda tried the same things after making the like the teen movies. It just sucks. I, I it's a little unfortunate for Daniel Radcliffe. I think his appearance limits him a lot more than um Robert Pattinson's does. Cause like just in every or maybe it's just me, but like in everything that I see Daniel Radcliffe in, I just see like he just he's looks like he's the same guy to me. Like he's even not, in He's not aged as much, I feel like. His his look has not that could be it, yeah. like Robert Pattinson's has since he was a, a true teenager. Yeah, like one example, I don't know, if, have you guys seen Imperium? No. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's basically Daniel Radcliffe is playing an undercover agent trying to infiltrate uh, the KKK. I think it was. Um, it's he's he's the white black Klansman, <laughs> but um, he's just like it's it's supposed to be like a little dark and he's like kind of tough and gritty because he has to hang with these like unscrupulous characters but it's just like he's just so small and like he he's not he doesn't appear tough yeah and you know that's interesting too it could be a whole other podcast episode is like getting typecast right like if you start out your career in very specific ways who has broken out and who hasn't and who tried and it didn't work you know um because I, I think that happens a lot. I think yeah. Daniel Radcliffe is finding his niche in the same way that Elijah Wood has later in his career. Mm-hmm. Of like mm-hmm. kind of wacky guy in crazy movies, but he's like the more serious person that goes on a wacky adventure type thing. So it's like, I feel like he's that's, that's a good comparison. But think how long it took Elijah Wood, right? Like Elijah Wood was a true, you know, child star. And I don't know how old he is now, but I would say, you know, Norse slash... You know, it took him a really long time to get to that more mature roles. Uh, do you guys have any last thoughts on Double All the Time before we move on to Bloodshot? Well, yeah, one really, like, to segue, I think uh, the typecast conversation is very interesting because I think uh, Vin Diesel is an example of being reverse typecast because before in his roles, he was, like, doing good stuff, and then he typecasted himself into stuff like Bloodshot, Riddick, Toretto. But I'm going to use that as our turn into Bloodshot, which but I had. But I had two last thoughts before Bloodshot. Oh, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, two things that I just wanted to call out that really stood with me that I'm sure some of you guys may have feelings about, too. One, so when one of the things about Tom Holland in the movie is like he, he really seems to hold dear lessons from his dad which is a little weird, obviously, a rocky relationship with his dad about, you know, murdering and skinning his dog and things like that. But when his dad teaches him, like, choose your time and think about what you're going to do to kind of enact revenge. And so his dad goes and beats the shit out of a couple of dudes who had done something wrong. I can't remember. What really bothered me about that is after his dad beats the shit out of the guy, they sit in the truck in front of this crime scene for 10 to 15 minutes, seemingly, and just talk about okay, son, now here's why I had to beat the shit out of these guys. Like, these guys have guns, have clearly expressed a willingness to use them, and they are just sitting out front for 10 minutes. That really bothered me. It was a simpler time. Okay, that was, that was also when, to, when a young Tom Holland, after, that, after his uh, dad was killed, or his dad died, 
and they found him. He was eating pie and apparently just had no idea how to eat pie. It really bothered me that a 10-year-old like could not functionally eat pie. That bothered me. And a lot never of thought. really good scene in uh, a ghost story where one of the characters <laughs> dies and it cuts to like a seven-minute scene of a woman eating pie to show how she's sad about it. Yeah, it was wild. So neither thought means anything, but those are two things that stuck with me that I was that I wanted to bring up. <laughs> Sorry, I ruined your good transition there, Paulo. It was very good, well done, but I needed to yell about pie for a second. That's all right. We can edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so sorry you introduced uh, Devil All the Time. So how about Tomkey? How about you introduce uh, Bloodshot for us? Uh, I'm happy to introduce Bloodshot because this movie is right up my traditional alley of movies that I see. Um, so all you need to know about this one, as, as far as the plot goes, typically is, as you would imagine, Vin Diesel is some sort of special forces guy at the beginning of the movie, or that's that's your understanding of him at the beginning of the movie. He goes through this... Um, uh, essentially kills some terrorists, goes rogue. He shows that he's a one-man army. You know, he's not going to be bound by your rules. Kills a couple of terrorists, uh, flies back from Kenya to Italy. This movie did have the the trope of uh, any African nation being heavily sepia-toned in the filming of it. Um, they did that at the very beginning when he was in Kenya. Flies back to Italy, gets off a plane, apparently has no debriefing about what happened, just gets off a plane and goes and makes out with his wife and leaves. So no protocol, apparently, in the military in this movie. Anyway, he goes to his wife, uh, and his wife gets murdered by this guy, and so then Vin Diesel has to go and get revenge for his murdered wife. I won't go too far in it because I think we'll all want to talk about it, but there is – for a Vin Diesel, for an action movie, I think there's actually a pretty good twist in this movie, which kind of makes it a little bit better than just your standard action movie. Now, I'm not saying it's a good movie, but it, it does have a little bit of a twist and a little bit of nuance enough to make it, I'd say, better than a normal movie. Also, Guy Pierce is in it. Guy Pierce is awesome. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there. But Vin, Di- uh, Vin Diesel dies is reborn with superpowers because they put nanobots in his blood and then he goes about seeking revenge for his murdered girlfriend and then we'll get to the twist after we all have a chance to talk about it is that pretty good how we feel about that setup yeah and i think one thing that really worked against this movie is like you talk about the twist happening halfway through of like they explained all of that in the trailer and so i don't know if you guys had watched the trailer before watching this movie but basically if you watch it you kind of know how the entire movie is going to go except for like the last five minutes that's yeah. a big, I have a big issue with that in trailers, too. They did the same thing with Terminator 2. Like, one of the coolest, I, I was, I don't remember who I saw, somebody was writing about this, coolest movie twist of all time is Arnold being a good guy in the second one. They ruined it in the preview. Like, why would you do that? Yeah, I will say, I was really excited to see Guy Pierce, and I feel like I haven't seen him in forever. I also felt like this movie was a bit of a modern-day Terminator. Right? Different concept, but, like, unkillable guy that I'm going to send to wherever to, to do stuff. There was a lot of things in this movie to the point made earlier like that brought me out. So they're on the Amalfi Coast. I've, I lived in Italy for a year in college. That's 100% Cinque Terre. Um, the pools have random windows like you're at an aquarium. Um, there's a crazy like flower fight. And again, in these days, you know how hard it is to get flower during COVID? There's no way that would happen. 
No, you could clearly tell this was swim before COVID with all that flower going up. Yeah, I was like, there's no way. And what my favorite part about this movie is that it was really subtle in its foreshadowing. That's sarcasm. Yeah. Those are, well, those are standard things you expect in a Vin Diesel movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, there was one point where it was like, why are there so many glass floors and walls? Like, this is a terrible building. Like, it's impossible to get anything done secretly. Um, so, sorry, I, there was a lot of stuff. The action scenes were fun, right? Like the guy has like a crazy awesome exosuit and there's an awesome like broken elevator scene. Um, the motorcycle satellite grenade launcher scene. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like there was a lot of cool technology. It was like James Bond done more poorly. I mean, yeah, it's it's triple X with superpowers, right? Right. Or literally any other Vin Diesel movie with superpowers. Just speaking of Triple X, can I give a quick shout out to uh, the the most recent Triple X movie? Because I talked about it last time on the podcast, and it was terribly awesome. So anyone, anyone listening, watch it, because it's hilarious. It's so good. It's so good and bad. See, but that's the thing. I don't feel like this movie was good-bad. Like, there are a lot of movies I watch, and I'm like, this is what I came for, this is what I wanted, I want an action flick with all, like, the stupidness, and I don't feel like there was too much stuff that took me out, it was entertaining, for sure, but, like, if you're going to spend two hours, I'm not sure I'd say, like, this is the best use, not to not to ruin my ultimate review, but, like... Was it, I think... Go ahead, Paul. So, I was just going to ask, was it that way because it took itself too seriously as an action movie, or, like... It just wasn't. I think it's because it took itself too seriously. Like, there's one part where they say, says the man who puts the shadows on the walls, which is a reference to Plato's, like, parable of the cave. And it's like, <laughs> guys, you're not, you're, you're missing the point. This is not that kind of movie. You know what I mean? Like, like no, like, just blow stuff up and fight. That's fine. <laughs> like, you don't need to, to try and make this more serious. I I think you nailed, nailed it on the head there, Paolo. Like, that's what pulled me out is, one, like, they're trying to make it serious and that kind of stuff, whereas, like, if you had just made this truly fluffy and, like, kind of crap and get the girl, and I, I think I would have enjoyed it more. Like the Triple X. It's so just... that this movie ended up in Vin Diesel's hands, because I think he was producer as well, because <laughs> I think it actually oh. does have some interesting ideas, and I think in the hands of, like, a, a more quality filmmaker, this actually could have been uh, something closer to Live, Die, Repeat, or whatever the theatrical movie yeah, was. And it's like you could have done something interesting. You could have had like more about the actual story, like more of a build up to the reveal, and like more what you do with it once he discovers that's what's going on. But it really was just another triple X movie with like all these ideas that didn't really fit in a triple X movie. Uh, Vin Diesel was definitely a producer. Actually, sorry, Dave, go ahead. No, I was gonna say he was definitely a producer because like if you've listened to any interviews, like he saw this as the beginning of the Valiant comic universe. You know, this was what people were clamoring for. They wanted the Valiant comic universe, and he was going to start it. Oh, well, he was building a universe. No, so that's interesting, actually. This was not supposed to be the first one in the Valiant comic universe. And again, it's like, why do we need a universe for every comic? But like Valiant comics, it, I can't remember. Which, there was another one that was supposed to come first, and then Deadpool, and it got killed. That I don't so, even know. Let me, let me go to... Uh, my Encyclopedia Britannica here, just flip through. While you're doing that, like my view of this, to back to the other question of why it didn't land, there's literally no one you should care about in this movie. 
Like I, the, Vin Diesel, for as much as I love the Fast and Furious movies, which I love, there's just no emotional weight to Vin Diesel in anything ever. Like he is the same, no emotion, deadpan voice that just says exposition and whatever he's going to do. Like I, and, and in this movie, especially too, there is almost literally never a sense where you're, or a time where you're worried that anything is going to happen to him. It's just, everything is fine. He's got these robots. They take care of him. No big deal. Like the stakes of this movie just didn't seem to exist, even to the point of where like getting to the twist, are we, can I get to the twist? Yeah. Go for the, it. <laughs> the twist being that like his girlfriend or wife or whoever, like never was murdered. It was just this corporation that was, running a revenge module my favorite part of the movie it's like run revenge module uh about him to make him think that this person that these different people had killed his girlfriend so that he would go kill them so the entire stakes of the movie are corporate espionage i guess like who the who cares about that like, and she's alive she's not even dead it's not yeah. even like she's dead in another way he's just been murdering scientists that work for other <laughs> companies right well, and so, okay, I found it. Harbinger was the, supposed to be the first movie, which is basically like Valiant's X-Men. Um, and there's four more movies in production in the Valiant universe and two more uh, rumored. And again, like, we just don't need a universe for every comic. Um, though, I will say, Marvel has ruined me. I was looking for a post credit scene. I stayed. I stayed for the credits. You try to tell Vin Diesel that people don't want a VCU, and you see how that ends up. VCU to him probably means Vin comic uh, universe. Can we also talk about like the ham-fisted intro of the Wounded Warriors at the beginning? Like It's like, here's all the other people, and it's like, let me just explain their origin story. There's no development. It's like, this guy did this, and now he's this. This guy did this, and now he's this. This gal did this, and now she's this, which, like, spoiler alert, She's she has a, a moral compass, but the company's gonna kill her if she doesn't seduce Van Diesel or whatever. Other than her, does anyone in this movie have a character arc, or is everyone just exactly who they are introduced from minute one? Minute one, hundred percent, no doubt. You know exactly who everyone is the moment they are introduced to you, and you're just like, okay, it's these guys. Like Vin Diesel's gonna have to kill these guys. <laughs> Let's see how that goes. It's just a collection of caricatures, bad guys, scientists. Yeah. All right. So it's it's one that I can watch while I'm doing the dishes and not when I'm sitting down eating. Yeah. Watch Guy <laughs> Pierce's scene. Guy Pierce is great. Very charismatic. Yeah. He plays similar. Which which movie, like, I don't remember if it was Marvel or DC or whatever. He played a scientist in some other movie, didn't he? Iron Man 3. Iron, Iron Man 3. Yeah, he essentially plays that character more or less. Yeah. No, it's, cool. it's hard for me to like think of things to say about this movie because it's just <laughs> it's just not good, and that's like that's my overall summary. Of, like, there's there's ideas, there's acting. It's a movie technically, but there's not really any value for it. Then then let's just talk about Triple X: The Return of Xander Cage, where he flies through an exploding airplane in the sky as it's exploding and then just lands into like a gunfight where ice cube with a grenade launcher saves him. That was, Again, I think that was, that's what I, I want. But that's perfect. That's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> that is the crap that I like. If I sign up, I want crap. I don't want you to pretend it's not crap. Like 
that that that's the whole point, right? There's times where you want to watch this kind of movie, and there's times you want to watch that kind of movie. And some movies can do both. This was not one of them. There was a uh, there was a trope in this movie that happens a lot, and I noticed it in this movie. And I want to call it out to get your all thoughts on it. Uh, it happens all the time, but so Vin Diesel gets killed or whatever wakes up and immediately just starts ripping IVs out of his arm. And I feel like that's a thing that happens in movies all the time where people are just ripping IVs out in medication. Like, has, does that, does that happen in real life? Is that a thing or is, <laughs> I don't think it happens. Movie thing. Uh, I mean, it could happen. I mean, I can see someone being startled if they wake up in the hospital, but it's definitely not good for you. Like it's not something you should plan to do. Like, Oh, I woke up. I'm clearly being medicated. Let's stop all the medication. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> That's, that that trope is like the purpose is just look how tough this person is or <laughs> look how little they care about their own safety. That's yeah, what, that's the purpose. He also he also one other thing I noticed there are multiple times in this movie where Vin Diesel throws smoke grenades for like throws them and then immediately evacuates the area in which he threw the smoke grenade. <laughs> like none of it makes sense the way he uses smoke grenades in this movie they don't provide him any cover like he will throw a smoke grenade and then run out of the area so people can see him again <laughs> one of my favorite parts of this movie was uh there's a point where they're talking about they're talking to the guy who developed the, the revenge protocol like the video um and then they're making fun of him for all the different tropes that he put into that video like how he ripped off reservoir dogs and i was like you chose you the directors of bloodshot chose to put those in this movie you're making fun of yourself like you're the idiot character i do love lamorne morris uh winston best character on new girl i was happy to see lamorne morris in this movie thought he did well fun fact on that there's a new um like verizon or prudential commercials like a hand like they're showing off their hands and he is in that. I literally saw him. I'm like, is that him? And it's like, I feel like, did, did this movie ruin his career? Why are you in commercials now, bud? Like, I feel gotta like you're better it. than this. Gotta get that money. That's great. All right. We will tie it off there. And we will end off this episode, as we always do, by saying movies that we are looking forward to coming out this year or in the next few months. Uh, there's not a whole lot coming out, uh, but we did find a few. Uh, Paulo, what are you looking forward to? Um, I am looking forward to uh, The Green Knight, starring Dev Patel, uh, the man that my fiance really loves. Um, uh, it's a, a, like a King Arthur universe movie, universe King Arthur story, uh, or King Arthur, yeah, King Arthur universe, Ar an Arthurian legend. There, thank you. That's what I was looking for. Are I believe it's called the ACU at this point. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, he plays Sir Gawain um, going on a, uh adventure. It's uh, from the A24 studio, so it's probably going to be good. Um, also, Alicia Vikander is in it, and she's awesome. Um, and uh, the trailer looks like a Kendrick Lamar video, music video. Uh so uh, I am heavy into like those uh, medieval adventure type movies. Um I get I get kind of um it's very very light uh Guillermo del Toro monster vibes uh from it. So as a side note, I delivered some terrible news to Paolo whose fiance loves Dev Patel that <laughs> he's about to start in the 
that star in a Chippendales documentary <laughs> who owned it. And he's like, well, I will certainly not be telling my fiance about that. I will not. And uh, she's not listening to this anyway. So it's fine. <laughs> can we get this Dev Patel movie in the same universe as the Charlie Hunnam, Guy Ritchie, King Arthur movie? Can we tie oh, those two together? Please somehow? do. I want, I, I want the, that universe to be created. The Guy Ritchie, King Arthur movie. The ACU. The ACU. All right. Yeah. You heard it here first. We got to tie this ACU up. I guess ALU, Arthurian Legend Universe. It's not common. ACLU, no. Um, That's a different thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm actually being serious. I, I wish, I hope they continue that, which they probably won't because it bombed. They definitely it, it was, will not, but I hope it doesn't it was, But it was another thing, you know, when you tell me, hey, a Guy Ritchie King Arthur caper, like, I got what I wanted out of it. I thought it was an enjoyable, I thought it was a fast paced romp of a movie. <laughs> At, delivered as advertised. Agreed. Just so you know, the, uh, the guy who's directing Green Knight, he has described his movies in the past as comfortable bedtime stories. Uh, so just be prepared for that. All right. I'm not and, expecting like a huge, like battle epic. It better be a romp. It's <laughs> not a romp. <laughs> Hold on. Just like Kendrick Lamar, comfortable bedtime story. <laughs> uh, Tom, you have a show. Yeah, so the one I wanted to see, and this is a bit of a controversial one, but I saw the the trailer the other day, as a lot of people did, and it's for Fat Man, which controversy is Mel Gibson, pretty terrible human being, apparently. So totally recognize that, art artist, that kind of stuff. But it does have Walton Goggins, who is one of my favorite working actors. I've been watching Walton Goggins for years. I was... Uh, I watched season one of The Shield when it first came out, like the year I went to college. And so I've loved him ever since because Shane Vendrell, terrible but compelling character. Um, and obviously he's been great in everything since then. So love Walton Goggins. I don't want to say too much about this because if you have not seen the trailer for Fat Man, go watch it right now. The reason I'm so interested in seeing this movie is from the tra- it was one of the more holy shit trailers I've ever seen because about halfway through, like the first minute of it's like a two and a half minute trailer the first minute just seems like a normal movie and then about halfway through they they reveal something and it is the biggest holy shit movie i've had moment i've had in a trailer before and so i highly recommend it we were actually talking earlier about previews that give away things about the movie i think you had to do it in this preview to get people excited about the movie because once you realize what the actual premise is it changes the way you look at it but so really clever, I think, clever film, and it has Walton Goggins, so I'm all in. Uh, curious just, to see like, how much of that actually, the reveal actually is a reveal for the movie, because it reminds me of the trailer for Moon, where yeah. they give away what you think is going to be the big reveal of the movie, but that really gets revealed like 40 minutes into the movie, and that's it's really about something after that happens. Um, I won't say specifically if you haven't seen Moon, you should go out and see Moon. Uh, but yeah, it's like curious to see where the movie actually goes with that. Just, just make sure you search for the trailer on YouTube and not watch it from a like one of those blog sites because it actually, when I saw it on a blog site, it spoiled exactly what the trailer was about right before I watched it, like right in the uh, the title. So yeah, don't do that. Follow up, follow. Yeah, if for nothing else, go watch the trailer because I don't remember the last time where I watched the trailer and legitimately exclaimed something to myself. <laughs> and and if you hate Mel Gibson, at least you get to watch Walton Goggins try and kill him. Yeah, true. True. Yeah. I think we can all cheer for Walton Goggins. Sorry, what are you looking for? Yeah. 
again, I, I say this with a grain of salt because I recognize so far my movie taste has been like Disney, old school. I like movies that aren't too deep or dark. And so I just want to be conscious that like this, this movie sounds stupid, but it's very in time that I find it interesting. Uh, but I, I'm looking forward to seeing Borat 2, which I think comes out on the 23rd of October. Um, and it's partially because, and I read it, there was a really interesting interview with um, Sasha Baron Cohen about it, but it's, he is actually much more thoughtful in what he's doing. It's not just this puerile or juvenile humor. It's really around exposing, you know, number one, like people's actual beliefs. And if you look at the original Borat, it was like, He's tricking people into getting it to come out. In today's America, like it's people aren't even ashamed to start, right? Like they'll open it right up. The flip side of that is at one point he lives with some conspiracy theorists for like five days. And this is what based on what I've read. And he had to stay in character the whole time. But he also talked about how he's trying to reveal that like even though these specific beliefs these people have are are by some people's standards crazy, etc., like they're still normal people. Like it's not everything else about these people's lives are them hanging out and talking with each other and doing stuff. And I think it humanizes a little bit part of the polarization of America. So we'll see. I don't, I don't know, but, and for those of you who don't know the premises that he's bringing his daughter to give to Mike Pence to uh, redeem America, which is, you know, totally reasonable. Um, and so I, I don't know. I'm, we'll see how silly it is, but, I don't know. I, I I'm looking forward to it. What what's the over under on it being more silly than uh, that spy movie he made, where they hide in the elephant's uterus? I actually enjoyed that movie. <laughs> Which not movie lie, is that? I, I missed the elephant uterus movie. Um, <laughs> what is it called? Elephant's uterus? Because, <laughs> no, it's, uh, um, it's brothers something. I can't. The brothers I'm Grimm. Gonna, I'm not going to Google it. No, brothers Grimm is. Yeah, that's not. Uh, Brothers Heath Ledger, that's Heath Ledger and sorry, yeah, Jeremy Renner or no Jude Law, somebody. The Brothers Grimsby. Oh, Grimsby, yeah, yeah. that's the one. Oh, I enjoyed that movie too, actually. I went in with <laughs> very low expectations, and it exceeded those very low expectations. So I don't know if it says a whole lot, but yeah, I enjoyed it. It's all, again, that's another great example of a movie delivering exactly what I expected. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the movie I'm looking forward to is Mank. Uh, which is a black-and-white film being released by Netflix later this year, which is about the screenwriter of Susan Cain. Uh, I'm looking forward to it basically because it's directed by David Fincher. Uh, it's been predicted to be one of the best movies of the year. The trailer came out recently, and it was really boring, but I'm looking forward to it because there's literally nothing else coming out this year that I'm looking forward to. Um, but it's got... Oh, what's his name? The guy who did Commissioner Gordon in The Dark Knight. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman, yes. Uh, I think Scarlett Johansson's in it. Like, it's got a really good cast. Like, there's a lot of really good filmmakers involved. It just seems like I'm not a big fan of period pieces. So, yes, I'm trying to say that this movie I'm looking forward to, I should not be looking forward to. Um, I think it's. I think I'm not going to enjoy it as much as I want to, but I think it'd still be like a really well-made quality film. Carson recommending a black and white movie and expecting <laughs> the least surprising part of the podcast. Who, who could have guessed, Paula? Now, now, here's my problem with stuff like that, Carson. Is it Oscar bait? Is it designed to win an Oscar or be a great movie? That's always what I like. I but that's the thing is, like, I don't like those movies either that are designed to win awards. Like, period pieces I hate for that very reason. 
I'm excited for this movie because Gary Oldman's a really good actor. David Fincher is a really, really good director. And it's been a while since I've seen just really good quality cinema. And yeah. I think I'm going to get that. Even if the story is a little bit boring, like I think it'll be really well made. I'm sure that the script will be really sharp. Netflix has been pretty good with like their once-a-year kind of Oscar bait type movies. So I'm sure it's going to be more interesting yeah. than I think it's going to be. I just have a hard time getting excited for it based on the trailer. Yeah. Gary Oldman's an easy plus. Like, what's his worst movie? Well, he's done some bad stuff, I'm sure. <laughs> Hitman's Bodyguard. All right, well, we will end it off there. Uh, thank you guys for joining, and uh, hopefully you get a chance to check out Tenet, Devil All the Time, and Bloodshot. Again, well, we'll say that there's time codes in the description because you've already listened to it all. Uh, <laughs> so, all right, bye. Bye. <laughs>